Well, good morning, everybody. Week nine of our virtual worship series, Spring of 2020, Rockway Mennonite Church. Also, the Sunday of the May Long Weekend, uh, colloquially known as the May 2-4, the 2-4 being a reference to a case of beer, which you're supposed to drink together with your friends while freezing to death on a mosquito-infested campsite up north somewhere. Well, we've decided to stay home this weekend, like most of the planet, and uh, plan to do a bit of gardening in the rain and maybe begin a new Netflix series. Well, for the past several Sundays, uh, we've been looking at the Gospel of John, and I'd like to continue with this until Pentecost Sunday, which is May 31st, uh, two weeks from now. We've been noticing that the Gospel of John is quite different in, different in style than the other three Gospels referred to as the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, John has a much more mystical and theologic, theological tone, and it features Jesus making these long speeches, like the one we're looking at today. This is part of a longer discourse called the Farewell Discourse that runs actually through four chapters in John, so a very unique feature. Well, what is one to make of this significant difference in style? Well, since the 19th century and into the first half of the 20th, uh, the assumption of most critically trained biblical scholars was that this style, so different from that of the other Gospels, could not have been an accurate representation of the historical Jesus. They figured that these long speeches had to be the work of the author, um, who was creatively putting these words into the mouth of Jesus. For Jesus, a simple Palestinian Jew, would not have spoken in this way. Well, this does seem to make some sense. However, since the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran, beginning in 1947, Scholars have been learning a lot of things about first-century Judaism, and they've discovered that it's much more diverse than they had assumed. For example, um, there was a community of, of sectarian Jews, the Essenes, living near Qumran, and in the writings discovered there, their language and speech is quite similar to what Jesus sounds like in this Gospel of John. They speak in a much more philosophical and Hellenistic style. Now, this doesn't alone prove that Jesus spoke in this way, but it does make it a more open and interesting question. Respected commentators on the Gospel, like Raymond Brown, believe that the Gospel of John had its own early source that was different than the sources that the Synoptic Gospels drew on. Through careful textual analysis, he shows that John is not copying from the other Gospels. Um, there's overlaps of content, as one would assume there would be, and as there, it's, there should be, but John is clearly drawing from another early tradition. And so who knows exactly? Uh, maybe Jesus spoke differently to different disciples, and maybe they were more disciples than we realize. And maybe his conversations were not all the same. Maybe some groups had a different style to them. 
there was certainly a lot about Jesus, what he said, what he did, that is not contained in the Gospels. And the early church uh, thought about this, deliberated, and decided that John was indeed a trustworthy source and picture of Jesus. And so I think it makes sense to trust it as um, an integral part of the picture of Jesus and not as some strange aberration. Uh, there were other writings that didn't make it into the canon, like the Gospel of Thomas, another very interesting text that has this enigmatic, um, mystical style. There's lots of debate about it, um, but some scholars say that the Gospel of Thomas also draws on a very early source of sayings of Jesus um, and may be related in some way to the source that John drew upon. Well, to our passage for today, um, and thanks, uh, I think it's Declan and Tate that may be reading this week, so thank you. The phrase that spoke to me in this passage was, I will not leave you orphaned. And in these homilies, I've been often beginning with the phrase that resonates with me, partly because there's not enough time uh, to take the passage verse by verse, and this way of approaching the text um, has a time-tested history. It's called Lectio Divina. Um, it's the practice, the Bible reading practice um, of the Benedictine community. Um, and they've been practicing it since the sixth century. They say that it's very important to approach scripture from a variety of angles. Um, the one angle is critical reflection and study. You know, thinking about the text, um, comparing it with other texts of the time, sort of like we were doing just now, talking about Qumran and sources of the Gospels. But another approach is more impressionistic, more subjective, um, intuitive. And they say this is a valid approach as well. Sitting with a text and waiting to see what emerges in the mind and the heart. So the Benedictines believe that the Bible is a living word that has a power to speak to people at different times and in different places. And so as I sat with the text this week, this is the phrase that emerged for me. I will not leave you orphaned. What must the disciples have been feeling when Jesus was talking to them about his impending departure. Well, it seems clear that they were feeling as if they would be orphaned, left on their own. No parents, no elders, left all alone to fend for themselves in a hostile world. Perhaps we can relate a bit during this time of pandemic isolation. Many people are feeling adrift these days, cut off, let go. It's like we've been detached from the mothership of social stability and left to float out to sea, not knowing where we're going or how we're going to get back. Things will eventually stabilize, we hope, but at the moment we can neither know nor feel it. And so we're feeling orphaned as well. Our usual routines and certainties have been taken away. 
if I'm graduating from high school this year, what will I do for the fall? If I go to university, will I be able to live in residence? Will all the courses be online? Is that worth it to me? <sighs> if I'm working, will my job still be around? If I'm a grandparent, will I be able to visit my grand, will I be able to travel to visit my grandchildren yet this year? And if I'm retired or retiring, will I have enough income with this economic hole we seem to be in? So maybe we can relate a little more than usual um, to what the friends of Jesus may have been feeling while he was anticipating his impending, impending passion and death. Um, we must remember that they made some sacrifices in order to be with him. They left some jobs. They walked with him, stayed with him, and trusted in him. And now here he's saying he's leaving much earlier than they anticipated. They'd be left all alone. And so Jesus says to them, Don't worry. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm going to send another parent another elder, another friend, and he will be like me, and he will actually be in a way closer to you than I am because he won't be outside of you. He'll be right within you, and you'll know him. Well, it's a nice promise, uh, but it doesn't make it all better for them at the moment because it's a promise for the future, and they, of course, are still in the now. And so for the time being, they will just have to wait and be patient. And what should they do while they wait? Well, another thing Jesus speaks about in this passage is the commandments. Those who love me will keep the commandments. And what are these commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and might and soul and love your neighbor as yourself love one another. These are the commandments that Jesus is referring to. And so Jesus says, do this while you wait. Love one another and wait. I think that's the word of the Lord to us today. Love one another and wait. We can't fix the problems. We can't know the future. All we can do is wait and keep the commandments. And so let's resolve to do this until we meet again. Amen.